and welcome back to the Dreamcast. I am your host, Denise Walsh. I combine science, scripture, and stories that will inspire you to dive deep, break through your own personal glass ceiling, and design a life of your dreams. Are you overworked, overstressed, and overwhelmed? You want life to be different, but you don't even know how to get there. Man, oh man, I lived there myself. And in my experience with working with thousands of people from all walks of life, there is one simple thing that holds so many of us back, a lack of time management. We may know what we want, but we often don't know how to get there and don't feel like we can add one more thing into our already busy day. And that's exactly why I created the Dream Life Action Planner. It's a 90-day inspired game plan that will give you total clarity on your greatest priorities and skyrocket your productivity on the tasks that matter most. And now, for a limited time, you can get your own copy for free And when you go to denisewalsh.com slash action. Denise Walsh, D-E-N-I-S-E-W-A-L-S-H dot com slash action, A-C-T-I-O-N. Put your information in and we will send this action planner directly to your inbox so you can set your goals, reprioritize your calendar, and design your dream life today. Big, big welcome back to the Dreamcast. Today, we are going to merge two worlds that may seem separate, however, really are uh, one and the same, and that is our faith and our business. Our next guest is a Christian author and storyteller who was a Fortune 500 CFO. Today, he is both a doctor of ministry and a business expert. After 35 years in the corporate world, including many years as the CFO of Foot Locker and the Yankee Candle Company, he followed the path that God had laid out for him and returned to school to complete his divinity degree. His focus in life now is to help people walk into a better future, no matter what stage of life they are in. Why do I say that business and faith really are one and the same? Because I can tell you when you lead a faith-based business, with people first, everybody wins. Big Dreamcast, welcome to Dr. Bruce Hartman. Well, thank you for having me today, Denise. I'm excited to be here. Well, I am excited to chat with you. I was only in the corporate world for about five years before I started my entrepreneurial journey and have been an entrepreneur for 15. So I can't even imagine being in the business world for 35 years. Can you tell us first a little bit about your business world experience? And then we'll talk about why you shifted into what you do now. So when I was eight, when the other kids were playing baseball, I was playing solitaire monopoly. I always loved business and how numbers work. And I liked, I always liked managing and being around people. You know, I knew very early on I wanted to be a CFO for Fortune 500 company. So I took the traditional track. I got my bachelor's degree in accounting and went to work for one of the big four firms and did that for the obligatory two to three years, depending on the state you live in. But I did just that for a while and just started working my way up the ladder. And I was really fortunate to have some great CEOs and mentors along the way. And I have to tell you, Denise, without them and without a little bit of prayer and luck, I wouldn't have uh, been able to spend 20 years as a CFO of companies. 
When I was at Yankee Candle, you know, I kind of was starting to get the feeling that enough is enough. You have enough. Um, I certainly did. Uh, the Lord wants something different from you. So it, at first it starts as like a rap, you know, just a knock. And then uh, the more you ignore that, the louder it gets. And eventually it got so loud that I couldn't sleep at night. And one evening I was walking through my town that I lived in and it was one o'clock in the morning and I came underneath this um, light. You know, they have uh, street lights. But behind me was darkness and in front of me was this light that I felt that's where I had to go. And like get everything, you just wonder, is it, am I doing the right thing, right? So over the next few days, I got a number of, you know, it was almost like Gideon, you know, in the sense that he had to test the Lord with the fleece twice. So I had to go through that process of saying, okay, I get it, God. I get this is this is where you want you want me working for Jesus. Okay. That took six months to go from that, that that image, one of the most memorable images I, I, I will always have in my life is walking from the darkness into the light. And so I I, I quit work. I knew that I was going to follow Jesus. And whatever I did the rest of my life was for his benefit. Now, were you already a Christian in the corporate world or was this a newfound faith? No, I had always been, you know, I still have my Bible from when I was 10 years old. It sits up here on the top of my desk. And so it was always there. But I was, you know, it was, when you're raising four wonderful daughters and you got a, you know, great, a wonderful wife and you have a, you know, a work week that sometimes could stretch into 78 hours a week wasn't as good with church as I should have been. Let's put it that way. Thankfully, I have a, a wife filled with faith and she said, okay, this is what we're going to do. And at the same point in time, I knew that I had to have more competence in theology and I didn't know where I was going, but I knew I had to go back to school. So at the age of 55, I entered uh, theological school in New Jersey and spent three years getting my Masters of Divinity. And everybody was always bugging me. What's your call? What's your call? What's your call? Right. I had no idea, Denise. Well, I want to ask you a few questions that I'm kind of pulling out of your story so far, because this is so exciting to me. I work with a lot of people who feel that knock and then go, I'm scared. <laughs> I'm scared. I don't know what to do now. But I want to mention that even at eight years old, and I'm sure this is not necessarily super conscious because we're eight, but even as a young child, you identified your strengths and you made a decision. And you said, I want to be a CFO of Fortune 500 company. That's a decision. You know what yeah. I mean? And then you then you went about to go make that happen. And I think a lot of times we think that success happens on accident or, oh my gosh, how did I get here? I don't even know. I mean, and that can certainly happen. But you made a decision early on that this was a route you wanted and a dream that you had. And so you started taking steps, which meant you found mentors to help guide you along the way. Again, people can see the success and go, lucky, they're lucky, good for them. But it's not luck, it's intention, right? Right. And then it happened again, where you were like, all right, this has been great. I, I appreciate my experience. I've, I, you know, I've enjoyed the time here, but there's a pivot coming. Something else is coming. There's this knock. And uh, I often say that, you know, your spark will keep you restless until you take full action on it. And so the fact that it only took you six months is actually a really powerful statement to your ability to again, make that decision. All right, I hear you. Let's go. And then take steps towards it. 
But everybody right now listening who's like, all right, God, I hear you. I still don't know what to do yet. I want to invite you to recognize that Dr. Hartman said the same thing. He didn't know what it all was going to look like. He didn't know the steps. He didn't know the how. He just knew he had to keep moving. And he did. So, all right, you're at school, you know, at a time when a lot of people are retiring and, you know, finding new hobbies. You went back to school to find a new career. Tell me how the the dots started lining up for you. I couldn't answer the question of what's your call. I sincerely couldn't answer it. You know, people say, maybe you should be a minister. Maybe you should do this. Maybe you should do Nothing felt right. So instead of giving the answer everybody wanted me to give, I held off. So the dean of the theological school said, you know, Bruce, why don't you continue on and get your doctorate degree while you're searching? And it was really some of the best advice I got because that's a that's a four year process and you do two years of classwork. And then you do two years on your thesis and your study and your research. And it was there that they found out what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to work for the Lord in any way that he asked me to. That's it. It was as simple as that. So, for instance, what does today look like? And I always knew I wasn't going to be a great pastor in a church, not because I wouldn't be good at it, but it wouldn't, I wouldn't have the passion that I needed to serve a group like the, the current minister of our church. She is such a wonderful person. You can feel compassion ooze out of her. You can see she's such a great shepherd, but that wasn't, that wasn't the life I was going to lead. So in when I was doing my thesis, I started working with social media and business and taking all of the things that I learned to do analytically in business and merge them into what I do. Okay, so what does that mean? I have obviously a Twitter account, Facebook account, LinkedIn account, and I write books and I do podcasts. And I my favorite thing to do is I speak on college campuses to students about what life looks like for them in the future. The other thing that, that I do is I I have people that are sent to me providentially that I help in their life. And right now I'm currently working with two women, one who unfairly got fired from her job. And unfortunately, she's later in her 40s. So what does she do with life? So we've been working together for six months. And then another woman um, who is still employed, who wants to write a book about Christianity and business. So I'm helping her. And then I help out businesses that need help. But one of the things you said at the beginning, I think is really important. Jesus is good for business and we've got to believe it. And that's the, that's the big key. So that's my calling. I reach 11,000 people a week and through all my various mediums, whether they're books or uh, Twitter or whatever. And um, I get feedback from the Lord how I'm doing each week. Some weeks are good. Some weeks aren't. <laughs> well, I love that you continued to take action while you were in discovery mode. I think a lot of times we can feel like we can't move until we know everything, but you continued your degree and continued to get your doctorate, even if it wasn't all clear yet, because it sounds like there was a piece of you that trusted it would be. When the time was right, it would click, you'd figure it out, the next step would come, and you didn't have to worry or stress about not knowing all the details yet. Yeah, that's uh, so that the difference between you can over control your life and you're going to find yourself where you don't want to be, or you can know that God is involved and that should be good enough. Yeah, I love that. So how do you now work with either college students or businesses and help them to integrate Christian values or their faith within their business? 
The first thing, it's interesting, I'm writing this book about Gideon, which I've thoroughly enjoyed. And, you know, the question is, why did God pick Gideon? And that's really what my ministry is for us all to be like Gideon. It's not about where we stand in the social status. It doesn't matter how many degrees we have. It all matters about who we are and where we're going and where God wants to take us. And what Gideon was, was a very humble person, very smart. When all the other Israelites were scared of the Midianites, he figured out a way to make a living in the wilderness when nobody else did. But he was humble. People liked him. People followed him. And the second thing is, this is to me, the, one of the most important things. He was a great observer of God. He could see what God, where God was taking him. And his biggest thing was, Gideon's biggest thing was, God's involved in my life. That's, I just got to follow God. Because you think about what he did to attack this 135,000, you know, barbaric army with 300 men. And just trusted God would bring them there. And that's what I mean, knowing that God's involved and then faithfully trusting God. So that's what I, I try to do, because a lot of the people that I work with, the businesses I work with, they get too caught up in procedures and marketing schemes and things like that. And really what business boils down to is being faithful. And it's all about content. 90% of what we do has to be the best we can do every day. And then the other 10% is administrative. Mm, 90% powerful, um, people-driven content that is moved to help someone in their life. 10% administrative. But I also heard you say he saw the world through the eyes of God, meaning he didn't always see the problems. He saw the solutions. Amen. And I think that's a powerful way to live your life and in business as well. And, and it takes, you know, Denise, the thing that I discovered and, you know, each day now I get rewarded more and more when I do this. But when you're first starting out, you know, Gideon tested God twice with the fleece. And it's a wonderful part of the story. And, you know, might think that he's doubting and things like that, but it's given him confidence that he knows he's got to follow God. But it's these trial and errors with God that really cement our faith. And because it's hard, um, it's hard to read God all the time, especially when you just knew at it. Yeah. When I was making my first pivot from clinical psychology, I have my master's from Wheaton, which is right outside Chicago, and jumped into the clinical psychology world as I thought that was going to be my way to impact people the most. But, you know, I was a government agency, overworked, underpaid, stressed out, burnt out, working with people that didn't want help and a system that couldn't help them. And at 24 years old, going through my quarter life crisis, like, this is what I went to school for all these years. Oh my gosh. But I, I knew that that wasn't it. You know, I knew that I had a lot to give the world, but I knew that that wasn't, that wasn't the thing. And so my pivot took, I was in that job for about five years until I found a company that I aligned with and I was able to work with them for about 15 years. But the pivot to actually make those steps, you do, you ask a lot of questions, you ask for confirmation, you ask for, tell me that this is the right, because you do get nervous or second guessing or unsure of yourself. Um, what are some ways that you built up that belief while you felt like you were maybe taking steps in the dark? I think that description is is, is so perfect. Steps in the dark. I know. I think that might be my next book. <laughs> yeah, I know. Steps in the dark. And, and God knows this. You know, Jesus is knocking at all of our doors. And that's what it says in, in the scripture. But how do we know it's Jesus at the door? And that some of that is the process, this journey of faith that you go through that 
you you try it out. You don't jump in. You try it out and say, okay. And that's how God works with us. He takes us along. Jesus is is always there knocking and knocking and knocking. And you keep trying it out and you see that it works. I really think that life starts in the morning at, with prayer. And don't just stop the prayer. Observe what happens next. And the amazing things will start to appear. And the more that appears, and the more repetition it is, the more you learn what God wants you to do and the more comfortable you get with this thought, I know God is involved. And then you know you're on the right track. And one of the things that I discovered, a little thing to me is I love getting up at four o'clock in the morning and everybody I know says, Bruce, you're crazy. When do you go to bed? <laughs> I think about getting up when I go to bed because I know what I get to do the next day. And that's why I can't stay asleep. Yeah. And that when you're there and that point, you're getting close to God. You're getting close to being the person that Jesus wants you to be. And you you find it in your enthusiasm and in your passion. And um, I was reading my one of my granddaughters, a book about this glimmering fish. It was all shiny scales, but wouldn't give it to anybody else. And nobody would talk to them. And all they wanted to do is be happy. And an octopus tells the fish, start giving your glimmering scales away and you'll be happy. And sure enough, and that's what that's what passion is. It comes from these unusual conversations and we're born to give. And it's through giving that we receive and it's through giving that we find our joy. Yeah, absolutely. And having those quiet moments with God is kind of like filling your battery tank up for the day. Mm -hmm. And then I, I know when I kind of made my second pivot, when I started writing books and journals and I was like, are you sure? Am I good enough for this? I don't know. Eek. I did the same thing. I really spent time in that, what I called my war room. This was, you know, a couple of years ago when that movie came out, the war room, and I had a walk-in closet and I put a chair in there and I could tape things up and I could, you know, pray and read and journal and not have to, you know, clean it up for my kids or whatever. So um, I created that spot and I used that as a way to not just ask, but also thank, say, thank you for the clarity that's coming. Thank you for uh, the next step that's here. Thank you for the right people that are coming into my path. And then I found that I had so many synchronicities that would happen. As soon as I would doubt and say, oh, is the podcast worth it? Someone would say, thank you for that episode. It was so helpful. You know, like I would get feedback uh, right in the midst of me doubting. And I would say, okay, I hear you. Thank you. But I do think that morning time really set myself up and gave my eyes the space to see that and for those things to come in. I know God is involved. I think that might be one of my new favorite affirmations. Yeah, it's just such a great feeling. You know, your, your steps, and I could hear it in your voice, your steps get so light. Yeah. And every person that sees you for the rest of the day gets this glow from you. Yeah. And I think that's kind of our responsibility. It's not that we always, some days we have to force the glow, right? Sometimes but, we show up <laughs> and the feeling comes later. <laughs> yeah. So, so you described perfectly the, I think the process, you know, you the, the war room, I love that. The war room, planning it out, making sure you're connected with God and then moving forward. And the doubt, the doubt happened, uh, I mean, once a week. To me, it's like, uh, okay, <laughs> what are you doing? Well, and I think that just goes to show it's a part of the process and we don't have to honor it. You know, I, we don't have to think it's bigger than it is. We don't have to. And I know people that will say, well, maybe because I'm feeling a bit nervous, I shouldn't do this. 
when that's really not not it at all. It's just fear and self-doubt is a part of the game. And the goal is that we overcome that knowing that God is with us and involved in our, in our lives and in our business. And we do it anyway. And the confidence will come. Yeah. And it's the, the testing of your thoughts is not the testing of God. And a lot of people get that confused because we know we're not, you know, Matthew, the second temptation in the wilderness is the testing of God, but it's the testing of yourself. Am I reading you right, God? And that's really, you know, what the, the doubt is, is trying to get clarity. And this is not a straight path. This is a very crooked turn that Jesus already knows where we're going. And, you know, that's why it's important just to keep keep bearing with it. But the testing that people have to do, it's not about testing God. It's about testing yourself. Are you being a good observer of God? And let's talk a bit more about the giving idea that when you tap into what you love, what you're passionate, like you said, you're calling and you radiate that, it spills over and that passion impacts everybody around you. You are giving them your time, your energy, your skills, your wisdom, your experience, yet it fills you up too. What have you noticed with the idea of, of giving your gifts versus you know the idea of sacrifice where it feels draining and doing it, but you don't want to and you're tired kind of energy? What I do, I do for the glory of God. So I start that conversation with that. You know, I feel that pressing in my ear. This is what I need you to do. And there's something interesting about working for Jesus is, but when you work for Jesus, you love what you do. So, okay, you get these requests from the Lord and you just do it. And it takes you down these interesting paths of giving. You know, Connie and I, that's my wife, we built a maternity ward in Haiti and there were no resources as, as I don't know if a lot of people know in Haiti, there's no trees, there's just rocks that they've all gone. So they have somebody like, and it doesn't cost that much to build a maternity ward where one doesn't exist. So these poor women, are not getting the prenatal care that they should get. They're not getting skilled help all the time during delivery, which is the most dangerous part of childbirth. And so, but for us, it's it was something we did. My wife has, she's far more faithful to me. She's just always knows we're going to do this, right? But what I've discovered is it becomes a way to show others how to look at life as a rose and not as a thorn. And it inspires them to not look at life that way. You know, you think about these women and what they have to go through versus what we have to go through. It's nothing. You know, if my biggest challenge is my Starbucks is too hot that day, you know, kind of makes you change how you look at life. And I think so that's part of the benefit. Second thing is this is really important. When you have the capacity to give, it also should say to us that we also have the capacity to be good. And a lot of the people I deal with and that I help, they have the imposter syndrome. They just don't think they're good enough. And giving is a way God says you're good enough. And, you know, that's the second thing. The third thing is when you give, other people join in. Now, we're not supposed to run around and say, I gave a million dollars or I gave five dollars or what. You're not supposed to run around. But it's the effort that you take in the giving that gets other people to do the same. So those are the three reasons. I love it. Well, and I do think that when, um, you know, working in the mental health field, when somebody is feeling depressed, all of the focus is on them. You know, I don't feel good. I'm, 
not good enough. You know, the negative thinking is all about them. And one of the activities that we would work with people on is to do service, is to give back in some way, because we found that it helped them to take their eyes off of them and their problems and what they're experiencing at that moment, even for that brief moment and allowed them to gain a different perspective. And then of course, when we give, we receive and it allows us to receive that blessing of you know, being able to impact others and the domino effect that that has. Yeah. If, if you ever want to see very, really happy people, go to a food bank. The people that are working in a food bank, there's no grousing, there's no complaining. And we, fortunately, we have one that's uh, near here that we can help out at. And it's amazing they, how they look, all these people look at life. So being around people that are givers is really good for you. Mm-hmm. When I was working as a camp counselor during my summer days at in college, I remember thinking like, I would do this for free. You know, I mean, I kind of was as a camp counselor, making like right. a week or something, but that even led me into my business. So years later, when I started my business, I found that if I was taking action in my strengths and giving back and, you know, adding value into the world, I could trust that the money would come. And my role was to stay in alignment, to stay in that connection and to add value into the world, knowing that everything else would fall into place. And I think, again, if we have that morning time where we really can get that connection strong and and have that peace as we go into the day and we have our affirmation, what's our, our favorite affirmation? I know God is involved. Um, kind of tattooed on our heart and soul, we really can see success in a lot of different areas of life and do it with such faith, grace, peace along the way. Right. So tell us about your new book, Jesus is Everything. I heard this story from a very good friend whose father died. And the gentleman was 87 years old. And he had been starting to deal with the effects of dementia. And he was was just starting to just really become frail. And the man fell in front of his house the Saturday before he died, had to be carried in by the neighbors. And this was a very proud man who was a, a, you know, wonderful corporate executive, great dad, um, a great grandfather. I mean, it's just a terrific person, solid as a rock, like a Clint Eastwood type of person. So to be carried into the house. And that's when he he told his wife, I think I'm going. So his wife called, and this was during COVID, by the way. So the wife called the doctor to find out what to do next. And, and the doctor said, you got to do in-house hospice so he'll never see his family again. Don't take him to the hospital. Okay, so in-house hospice came. And what a wonderful opportunity for the family and for him. And for seven days, he had visitors. And for seven days, he got to think about his life and where he was going. And every, he had 18 souls that were part of his immediate family. He got to say, I love you to everyone and hear it. And his son, this person that I talked to, kept pressing him about Jesus throughout that experience. And it, it, the more the man accepted Jesus, the more comfortable he became. And then on his last day, you know, there was uh, apparently there was um, that kind of church, but happy music playing in the background. And his wife was holding his hand and his son read him a poem. I hope you know. And one of the lines in there was, I hope you know, Jesus is waiting for you. Okay, so he hears the poem and most of the day he had been both eyes closed with that heavy breathing that comes near the end, opened his eyes said to his wife, I love you, and passed. 
So what it made me reflect when I heard the story is he, he to him at that moment, Jesus was everything. Jesus was, he didn't have to shave. It, whether he had a change of underwear or where he was going the next day, the only imminent issue he had was getting comfortable going to paradise. So that's, so I started thinking about that. Jesus was everything. <laughs> Coincidentally or providentially, I posted this post on Twitter. Who is Jesus to you? And you get flooded, flooded with answers, right? But I saw one that was pretty consistent and common. Not every one, maybe every 10th or maybe every fifth one. Jesus is everything to me. And then I started like looking at the profiles and then reading beyond that response. You, you said something that was really important um, a few minutes ago. You said, we've got to remember to thank Jesus. People that think Jesus is everything in their life, thank Jesus, because otherwise Jesus is a genie. And so I started thinking of that, connecting the story. So what I did was I said, that's the story. So the book starts with this, the story of this man recreated his last week. And then it goes into how Jesus becomes everything in our lives. Like one of the things we talked about with um, was giving or incarnating Jesus. That's what we do when we give. And then about having faith. And then a lot of people, believe it or not, Denise, I, find, I meet a lot of people who don't think they're worthy of Jesus. That's not even close to true. And Jesus doesn't want us to any of us to think that we're all worthy, no matter what we've done and no matter where we've been and where we're going. So it's it has a, it has 12 chapters that talk about the various aspects of Jesus being everything. And, it's, and my normal style is to do it in storytelling. So I have people that I know that emulate this particular aspect. And you're not seeing it through my eyes. You're seeing it through those people's eyes, just me retelling the story. Awesome. Awesome. Well, and I think that whether you are a new Christian and you may be having some of those questions, am I worthy? of this kind of love. Uh, this book is for you, or you maybe you're a seasoned Christian who wants to continue to deepen your faith and be sure that Jesus is at the forefront of all aspects of your life. It sounds like this book is for you. And you have a freebie for us at your website, brucelhartman.com. And I will be putting that in the show notes below. Uh, and what is the freebie that you will give all the Dreamcast listeners? So we will give them a free book. And I'll sign every book individually. A free Jesus is everything, you guys. That's a big deal. Definitely take advantage of that. I know I will be. I'm going to read it too. BruceLHartman.com and put your information in to grab your free signed copy. And, and then spread the word. You know, I think when you read a book that makes your day better, the next step is to give it to someone else and gift it to someone who you know uh, might need some lifting up as well. So a couple last questions for you. First of all, thank you for that generous gift. I'm really excited that our listeners will be able to have that in their hands. But as an entrepreneur, you and a businessman and um, a Christian and a family man and all the things, uh, all the hats that we wear, I would love to hear a few book recommendations or some things that you have found along the way that really were big aha moments for you or places for you where you like to learn. One of the places, obviously, is the Bible. And I read the NRSV, but I also know that um, Peterson's Bible and the NIV are probably a little more accessible to people. But one of the things when I do read the Bible, and this is my suggestion, you know, I'm writing this new book called Gideon. What got me into the book was it's the story starts. It's in Judges 6 to 8. 
The story starts with a young man threshing wheat in a wine press. That's the great thing about the Bible. So a lot of people just read that and say, okay, but wait a minute, wait a minute. Why is he threshing wheat in a wine press? And what does that say about him? So I think when we read the Bible is be curious about that stuff. And one of the books that I read is I read, actually it's a website, it's called Bible Hub. And when I get to one of those verses where I don't understand it, type in the verse and then you type in the commentary and go to Bible Hub. And you'll get about seven people will give you different opinions of of what that insights are. So that's one of the things I do spend a lot of time in research. And this Bible Hub is it's a wonderful, wonderful resource. You can get all kinds of commentaries and stuff. The other thing that I, I read a lot, I read about great people. Like I just finished this book, The Splendid and the Vile. And it's about Winston Churchill. It's one year of one man who stood alone against the world. And it's written from the perspective of many people, not, it wasn't something that Winston Churchill wrote. It was something that Eric Larson's the author. He wrote about it and gave insight to this man who had complete, you know, a lot of people don't know because Churchill smoked a lot and he drank a lot, but he, he believed in the Lord and he was very courageous in his belief. And that's essentially what saved Great Britain. So I like to read stories about people that have overcome. Mother Teresa is an example. Anything about her, I'll absorb. And I think learning about these Christians helps us identify, like, for instance, we were talking about doubt earlier. Uh, Mother Teresa lived with doubt for almost 50 years. Was she doing the right thing? Which you and I would say, are you kidding me? All the good work you did for everybody? So those are those are the three places that I've been recently. Awesome. I love that. Thank you. And then my last question to you is, what is one thing, I mean, again, we need to stay full so we can continue to give to our audience. What is one thing that you do that you couldn't live without? I think it's what you do, the war room. I would have that image tomorrow morning. I, I think that if I don't get up at 4, 4.30 in the morning and take that time, I don't think I can be successful because I have to remind myself every day it's about content. It's not about quantity. It's about being the best person I can be that day, but it's assessing where does God want me to go that day. And I think that morning time is the most important part of my day. Awesome. Yep. I would agree. I would agree. And I am I'm doing a program that's called 90 Day U-Turn, and I send them all a journal. And I say 15 minutes of journal time is your, a daily challenge as a part of the program. And in my mind, I know, because even if you do nothing else that I suggest over the next three months, you know, as we're working together, I know that that morning time will set them up for a, a much better day, which then compounds into a much more purpose-filled life. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's such a wonderful, the journaling is, I do the journaling kind of on my own. Uh, but one of the things biblically is you think of the, the number 40, 40 days in the wilderness, and it in theory, and I think it's pretty close to true, once you've done something for 40 days, it's no longer something you have to think about. It's a habit that you mm-hmm. miss if you don't do it. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And then we can habit stack and try, you know, one more thing, um, one more thing that can become a bit more normal that will all take you in the direction that you desire to go. Well, thank you so much, Bruce, for your wisdom and experience today. You guys go to brucelhartman.com and check out Jesus is Everything. Um, So kind of him to send us a free copy that is signed. Let's soak it in 
And then I will definitely stay in touch with him so we know when Gideon will be released. Do you have a, a goal date for that yet? It will go to the editor probably September 1st, and then it's another 60 days. So I'm going to guess either early winter or very late fall. All right. Cool. Sometime before Christmas. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you again so much. And thank you for saying yes to your dreams. I think because you felt that knocking because you made the decision to say yes, even if he wasn't all figured out, the how showed up and the ripple effect of what you're doing is, is powerful one and impacting people all over the world. So thank you so much for being here and sharing with us today. Well, and thank you for having me, Denise. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. I want to hear your aha moment from today's amazing episode. If you could leave a review at whatever podcast player you choose to listen from, Apple Podcast, CastBox, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you're listening from, leave a review and share with us your favorite part of today's episode. Thanks for hanging out. And remember to dream big. <laughs>